Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, part of the Marketplace Risk Master's Program. The Master's Program offers a full suite of virtual content, engagement, and resources focused on risk management, trust and safety, and legal strategy for startups. Be sure to download the mobile app from the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website to connect with hundreds of participants, speakers, and sponsors directly. The Master's Program is presented by Aon, Checker, PackSafe, and we want to thank them and all of our sponsors, including Appers Insights, King & Spaulding, Seifarth Shaw, Sitter City, Spectrum Labs, Tint AI, and Willis Towers Watson. Check out the Master's Program Sponsor Center on the Marketplace Risk website for more information about our sponsors to view content they have contributed and to contact them directly. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing and gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info@marketplacerisk.com, and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast. Today, we have Ian Sweeney and Clive Thompson from Trove Mobility. Their session for the master's program was called Unicorns at Risk, the Secret to Profitability. And today, I'm going to be talking to them more broadly about unicorns in the platform economy and the role of insurance in becoming profitable. Hi, Ian and Clive. Hi there. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for joining us. So, um, first of all, could um, one of you tell us a bit about Trove Mobility and exactly what you do so we can just set the scene a bit for our listeners? Sure, I'll, I'll jump in. So, this is this is Ian and, and, and Clive can uh, help me out if I miss anything. So, so, Trove Mobility is a combination of a technology company and an insurance broker. And uh, we work exclusively with mobility and sharing economy businesses. And, and we help them out with two things or sort of two phases of their life. Uh, the first phase being the launch phase. So, they, you know, these entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, as they're sometimes called, if they're inside a larger enterprise, are you know, launching a new mobility service, whether it's scooters or self-driving cars, whatever it may be. And at some point in that process, they want to go, uh, they want to launch the service and they need insurance. And that is a, uh, it's a tough task, actually, with these new types of risks to get insurance. So we help them in that launch phase. We work with um, ambitious underwriters around the world who are ready to take on these new types of risks. And so we pair the two entities together. And then the second challenge for these types of companies is, is scaling. So uh, many examples of it in the mobility world, but um, their their costs are key to profitability and some of them go out of business if they don't get those costs under control. And it's often a surprise for people to understand that insurance or more broadly cost of risk can be one of the largest cost elements in running these businesses. And so uh, what Trove does on the technology side in particular is we're able to utilize the data available nowadays to give a real-time view into the risk of these platforms. And then 
the platforms themselves can make the decisions that they need to make to drive the risk and hence the cost out of their business and, and give them a better chance of, of getting to profitability. Mm-hmm. And um, unicorns, um, for some people that, that might not be a familiar term unless they've got sort of a, a young daughter like I have who's got them all over her bedroom. But it's the other kind of <laughs> unicorn is obviously um, the definition for a, a privately held company with a with a value of over a billion. That That's right, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yes, yeah, there are two types of unicorns, and we're talking about the one that's uh, uh, worth more than a billion dollars. Yeah. yeah, and are there many of those in the in the platform world, in the world of sort of sh- shared mobility, future of transport? What what um, unicorns would our listeners maybe be familiar with as a brand name? Yeah, it probably depends where in the world you are. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in, uh, well, not in the UK, unfortunately, because scooters are not yet uh, legal as a service, but they're probably the most recent batch of big uni- uni- unicorns in the, uh, uh, in, in the startup mm-hmm. world in the sense that these are companies that rapidly grew to um, values of more than a billion dollars. So companies like Lime uh, would be a, would be a nice example, but maybe more commonly known Ubers and Lyfts of the world. Mm-hmm. They're a bit older, but um, there are uh, a billion dollars sounds like an awful lot of money, but the mobility world in particular is growing um, very quickly, and the scales of those markets are are are, uh, are very large. So the numbers and the volume of these types of companies that have the, the either the capacity or the capability or or are or already greater than a billion dollars might surprise people. There's any number of maybe another example is a customer of ours, Waymo, which is a subset of of um, of Google, but. Um, they have a, a public service out there, but they're already valued well over a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. But that's the that's the the value of the company. It's not that they are making profits of that um, amount, is it? Is the value? So, say for example, um, one of these electric scooter companies. And I'm quite fascinated by this concept. And as you say, it's not um, it's not a big thing in in the UK. But obviously, I'm familiar with them, um, Bird and Line. I don't know how you feel about it, but a lot of people categorize these types of company in the sharing economy, whereas in my mind, they're no different to uh, an old-fashioned car rental company uh, like Avis or Hertz or something, because they have a a fleet of um, vehicles and they rent them out. How would you place that in in the world of um, platforms and tech and sharing, etc., this type of company? Where do you put them? Yeah, and I'll, I'll welcome Clive to offer his opinion on this one as well. But um, it, I suppose from my perspective, it depends on your definition of the sharing economy. In Maybe it's an overly simplistic view, but the way that I would think about it is the, the, the premise behind the notion of the sharing economy is to take assets, things that we all own or companies own, and share them around. And so rather than have uh, whatever it may be, your car sitting in the driveway 95% of the time, to be able to let make that available for other people to drive the utilization of that asset up, and so I would, I would, I personally would say that scooters, taking that as an example, are exactly in the sharing economy. Right, you're purchasing these scooters, you're putting them out there, making them available for uh, all of us to use rather than to own, mm-hmm. which is is to me is almost like is almost the definition of the sharing economy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. No. I'll jump in there as yeah. well. I think one of the other distinctions there that's 
uh, about the um, the e-bikes or regular bicycles or scooters is compared to an old uh, rental car agency is the the key distinction between uh, something being station based and free floating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think one of the things we've seen is with these micro mobility units is they're scattered all over a city. Um, they can move around to different locations. Uh, whereas, and we see that even with cars as well. Um, whereas you think about the old rental agencies, traditionally they're, they're a parking lot at the airport. Um, and I think the distinction that they're now sort of ubiquitous, uh, throughout a city. And and if you go to a city with e-scooters, they're, they're littered around everywhere. Um, and I think that's one of the fundamental shifts as well is, is the access Mm -hmm. and, and the nature of the business, um, compared to the old, let's say the. Uh, old world incumbents of, of rentals yeah I think you might have actually just changed my view on that because I've always been quite the sharing economy purist and to me it's a the platform enables the peer-to-peer transaction um, and if it is a company who owns the asset and it, they're renting it out then it, it, to me it's not a pure sharing economy transaction whereas actually what you're saying about the access and um, how it's, it's taken the old model of, of having everything in that one place, for example, at an airport, etc., it has changed things. And in that sense, it is more shared because you are getting more more use from the individual uh, asset, aren't you? So maybe you've persuaded me there because I've always been quite... I don't think scooters are part of the sharing economy, but I see it now. So t- going back to unicorns, um, for a mobility platform to scale and become profitable surely there there must be a lot of people who have seen this uh from bird or lime and jumped on that because they see the potential i mean how appealing it must be to to quickly scale uh, a business like that and be- become a unicorn but surely there must have to be quite a lot of stars in line for that to actually work and there must be a lot that have felt fallen by the wayside what would you say does have to be in line for for that kind of level of growth to take place um because i presume you know the word unicorn is because it's a it's a rare thing so it must have to be that lots of factors come into play to make it a success yeah i mean it's a really interesting and, and startup uh, you know people sort of study this constantly i it's a really interesting thing so the, the fundamental thing that has to be in place um is the market timing and so uh i don't know we maybe we'll get into the pandemic conversation at some point here but it's maybe an illustration of what market timing really is like we've seen um I think globally, but certainly in multiple geographies, we've seen consumers shift towards bicycle usage right over the last three months. Mm-hmm. And so if you were, you know, working on some type of a mobility startup around bicycles six months ago, um, you might have been struggling. And now here we are where um, I was in the local bicycle shop the other day, just asked him how business was, and he had no bicycles left on his rack. He'd sold everything, right? So so fundamentally to be in the unicorn to 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 build a business in the unicorn space the market timing has to be right and the more what that sort of means in 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 layman's terms is um the consumer behavior consumers us as consumers need to be ready to do the thing that that um or consume the service and so if you think about sharing economy go back 10 years ago and you said to somebody um yeah, you can put your car on this sort of digital platform and other people can drive it. Do you want to do that? People would have been like, well, are you crazy? 
And so, and I, I often, I often think about the car being the last place, the, the last thing that people wanted mm-hmm. to share. So, and, and mobility or new mobility, as we sometimes call it, is sort of the last arrival, or maybe one of the last sort of uh, industries or or spaces to kind of get onto the sharing economy. So, I think market timing um, is certainly critical. With marketing time, market timing comes investment, right? So the money needs to be there to invest. And then maybe the, the then the other big big sort of thing that needs to align or maybe informs the way you run these businesses, there's often a belief, um, and I don't know this to be true, there's often a belief that you want to get as much of the market as quickly as possible. Um, and we've seen that with Uber, for example, who went globally as early as they could mm-hmm. to try and grab the whole market in the belief that the, there's only sort of one or two big winners. Um, yeah, so I don't know, Clive, what do you think? You're coming from a slightly different angle than me on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll keep building on, on some of the comments there. I think, um, you know, what you're speaking to is kind of the, the timing and the trust uh, with consumers. Uh, I think the other component there is when I think about taking it from conception to scale and things like Uber, uh, I think the other thing from a customer's perspective is it has to really be con- convenient and consistent. Um, when we think about rideshare in its early days, uh, what was really interesting is it's clear there was a lot of really pent up demand uh, for in the old world, we used to think of them as taxis. But then the question is, well, how, how do we get enough drivers to meet this demand? So I, I think it, when it comes to, you know, what's the differentiator and are people really ready? Uh, there has to be the ability to deliver on the service such that once the consumer has a good experience, uh, they can start to build a habit. And, and that's part of going to Ian's point of uh, building, you know, kind of the, the ubiquitous dominance and try to become, you know, one, one of the few players uh, in a new category of mobility. And, and circling back to kind of what we were talking about with scooters, you know, if you, if you live in a municipality and they introduce scooters, but they're only um, in a singular part of the city, uh, that might drive a very different experience for you rather than they're always on every street corner. And then you get really used to using a scooter as your way of moving around the world. So there, there's certainly a lot of stars to have to align. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, and there's a, and it takes uh, quite a bit um, of both, you know, kind of luck, perseverance, technology, money uh, to really get it to a point where people sort of adopt a new way uh, of moving through the world. And you, you were saying yeah. that you felt that transport was almost one of, you know, one of the last things for people to, you know, adopt maybe a different or a sharing model. That would maybe also be, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, because of infrastructure, because there has to be, I mean, even if there's a, you're solving a problem and, and people want this change and people are keen to adopt it and all these other elements are in place, if your city, say, for example, doesn't have, a, a way for you to, you know, use your electric scooter, for example, safely, a special lane or something like that, then, you know, you can't, you can't do it. Um, and I suppose it's the same with sort of bike share or other things. You can want to do that and everything else can be there. But if it's actually doesn't make sense or it's not safe or something like that, then that, that has to be right as well. Yeah, very much so. Like, I'll give you maybe a couple of examples here. And, and I suppose I would characterize um, 
these elements are sort of the supply side. Like what are the thing, the ingredients you need to actually run the business? So, and you know, on the, we talked a lot about scooters. So in the UK, for example, the regulation needs to line up to allow scooters to be on the road and not be a registered vehicle, et cetera. Um, so that's an interesting piece of infrastructure that needs to be in place. Um, uh, Clive talked about free floating usage of vehicles. So again, in, his point, I think, was really quite smart in terms of the access to these services is, is very important. And so in car share, and so for those of you who might be familiar with, um, uh, for example, Zipcar, where you rent a vehicle for, you know, maybe 15 minutes, um, free floating car share is a new thing. So cities are saying, you know what, you're allowed, dear car share provider, you're allowed park your cars in metered spots around the city. Um, because that allows people to pick up the car, drive it to where they need it, and if they're only traveling one way, one way, they leave it where it is. So another piece of the of the infrastructure in the we'll go to Waymo, who's a customer of ours, as I mentioned, self driving cars, huge technology challenges that need to be overcome on the on the sort of the um, the supply side of their business. So uh, you're right. There's a there's a range of different things, and maybe just to bring it back to insurance for a second, one of the things that we often um, find with our prospective customers, our new customers, is they're really surprised how hard it is to get the insurance together. You know, they thought their battle was to get the regulators to allow for bicycle lanes. They then have another challenge to encourage the insurers to actually insure this risky new business. So, but uh, you're right on the money, Al. There's, there's a, um, there tends to be a huge element of uh, infrastructure that needs mm-hmm. to be in place. I'm glad you brought it back to insurance because my uh, next thing I was going to ask you was, you know, what that plays in the equation. And in, you've said that it can be a barrier to, to getting started. But now we're, if we're talking about scaling to, to um, a unicorn stage, what part does that element, the insurance, play in actually becoming profitable versus um you know actually having a, a big value because obviously that's where where the companies want to be uh, and to have the profit rather than just the the big valuation what part does the insurance play in that yeah i'll, I'll take that one out so there there's certain the first thing i think to frame uh the insurance topic is to take it down to some base principles that really what we're talking about is risk and safety on the platform um while we talk about insurance insurance at its core is really a financial tool to transfer uh that risk to the insurance industry and the the reason why platforms need insurance beyond regulation is you also do it to mallet to manage your financial risk of your own company protect you from bankruptcy and also to manage balance sheet volatility so when we think about uh, you know a, a, an actual startup, so let's take we'll go back to the scooter example, and they're starting with one municipality and a thousand scooters. Uh, you know we see a lot of the time that you need just something to get you on the road, and the insurance will, generally speaking, cover almost anything uh, that is bad that happens on your platform. And, and what that means in insurance terms is you have a very low deductible. Uh, very little self-retained risk. Uh, you mostly basically say, I'm going to pay a, 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 ch- a chunk of money uh, to an insurance company to ensure that if something really goes wrong, I'm not financially responsible. Um, and then comes the next phase. And the next phase is when you start to scale. 
And when you begin to scale, that's when uh, I would say the fun really begins from a risk and safety perspective. Because when you're first just getting on the road, you want to prove your concept, you want to create demand. Um, but once you've proven that, uh, now you have to manage it as an ongoing part of your costs. And what's interesting in the mobility space is it's extreme, much more significant than any other business. Um, it's it, compared to a traditional, maybe other sharing economy platform. And in that sense, then you start the journey of how much the, the difficult questions of how much risk do I retain? Um, how do I start to set up an optimal program such that I pay the insurance company to financially bear some risk, but I retain some of it myself? Um, and then once you start retaining risk, then it's upon you to really start thinking about how do I reduce or control that? And there becomes a lot of interaction between also the customer's experience um, and, your, and your brand and what type of risk and safety do you promote? Um, because, of course, if someone initially started to get into a rideshare vehicle, um, you know, all those years ago and, and it started to become apparent that really bad things were happening to people, and they weren't, uh, you know, being fairly taken care of by those platforms, the consumer trust is lost. So there's a really deep interaction um, between the risk and safety, um, the finances of the business and the consumer. Um, and, and Ian, you know, jump in there if I missed anything. Uh, no, I think you nailed it. You, you, there's a balance of, as, as Clive said, the insurance is a critical component, but actually it's more broadly the risk and how that impacts the, mm -hmm. the business. And, and, you know, having the data nowadays, that's the big change. If you have the data, you can actually give, you know, the business operator the insights they need to make the decisions they, you know, they need to make, which is, which is the difference between maybe 10 years ago, that data you think these scooters, these cars, these buses just weren't connected and now they're connected in real time and they're shooting all this data in our case to, to ourselves. And then we're, we're processing all of that data and then giving real, real time insights back to the, um, to our customer, the platform operator, and they can begin to make informed decisions now as a, as a result. Mm -hmm. And we, you talked briefly there about sort of comparing mobility platforms to other platforms. And I was just thinking when you were talking there, I was thinking, gosh, Mobility really does, I mean, it, it, it's a risky business, isn't it? And I was thinking, you know, some other types of platforms, say like a skills sharing platform like TaskRabbit or a home sharing platform like Airbnb. Um, and I was going to ask you if um, you felt that a mobility platform had an advantage or disadvantage when it comes to scaling over these types of platforms. I suppose it's really just that it's a whole bunch of different risks you've got going on there, haven't you? Because you're on the go and you're moving about. And, you know, I was just thinking that in a way, some of these uh, may have maybe a home sharing platform or these types of platforms that are based in one place have, um, you know, it could be a risk that's maybe easier to manage. Is that right? Or am I being, is it simplistic to think of it that way? I, so I would say from Trove's perspective, and so we don't operate the platform, um, it's pretty easy for us to um, provide the service to the Airbnb, if you like. Um, and the, the thing, the pattern that's consistent across all the types of business you mentioned is there's periodic um, risk needs. 
So uh, when somebody is not renting the Airbnb, it doesn't need to be insured. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody is uh, walking into somebody's house to build an IKEA shelf, insurance is needed when they walk back out. It's it's not when somebody rents a vehicle. It's insurance is needed, and it's not. So from that perspective, it's actually quite consistent. But uh, maybe from Clive's chair, who get, who rolls up uh, into the details of the insurance that is fundamentally different. And, and one of the differences that I would say, not being the insurance expert in the conversation, is that often there's regulation around um, mobility insurance. So for example, you have to have car insurance, mm. right? And so it, it, it could be more complex, but I don't know, Clive, how do you, how do you view it? Yeah, I think Al, there's a couple of things there. We think about, um, let's say the home share space, which is in, in insurance terms is a property risk. Uh, if you think about a task rabbit, that that's a worker in your home, that that's a general liability. So if they don't do it properly, um, and then generally ride share or, uh, or a scooter is more akin to car insurance or perhaps motorcycle. So you have very different types of insurance products. I think what's really interesting in, from the insurance industry's perspective, um, is that we find insurers are actually somewhat hungry for the task rabbits and the home shares, or also, you know, maybe also another uh, type of sharing economy platform would be you share goods. So maybe, um, you know, you have a laptop and you want to share it out in a peer-to-peer manner, but you want to make sure your small piece of property is protected. Uh, the insurance product there would be called Inland Marine. And what's really interesting is that because mobility for a lot of the industry, which has now has devoted shared economy teams, because mobility actually dominates the shared economy so much from their perspective of portfolio, uh, they really like property and general liability, which are the task rabbits and Airbnbs, because they get a diversity of risk. So we find when we talk to the markets um, for these scaling, uh, you know, there's certainly appetite for more and new and different ways that are going on with mobility in terms of, you know, what's the vessel, um, and the duration that people rent it for. Uh, but when you think about some of the other types of the shared economy, um, they actually can be a little easier of a conversation just because, uh, you know, really the insurers are kind of looking for something different. Mm-hmm. So just to go back for the last couple of minutes um, now to the, to the idea of, of a unicorn, um, we talked about what, what that means. Um, there's also the the IPO, um, and obviously, you know, that's, uh, you know, becoming a, a, a public company and floating um, on the stock market. And I know that recently, the first platform businesses have actually reached that stage. And I think, am I right in saying that Airbnb were talking about it, but then the pandemics hit. Um, so uh, where we are with that, I suppose, is that Uber had a slightly lackluster, I think, um, arrival on um, on the stock market. But um, is it a holy grail? And, and what does it actually mean in terms of profitability for a mobility platform? Because they've got to that stage, but, um, you know, is it, are they even profitable, even if they've got that, that huge value? Is there anything you know, to be said for that being at that stage? Um, and, you know, w- what does it mean to reach that? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I, I think that it, um, 
so what what does it say when when one of these companies IPOs? It, it doesn't necessarily say anything about profitability. It's really an investor question, right? It's whether investors believe that it's a sound investment, um, and they understand the type of investment. And maybe that's that's probably the the, the key even to the whole conversation about the unicorn. Um, the key is that you know investors in startups believe there's going to be growth. Right, I can buy something now for, you know, a pound or a euro or a dollar, and um, that 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 share will grow and uh, quickly over time because the market is enormous and these guys are doing a good job of of tapping into that market. And so, um, uh, so when these companies IPO, that's more often than not the view that an investor will have, which is, you know, is this company going to to grow? Am I buying a share? now which i actually believe is sort of underpriced and based on the way they run this business it's going to grow over time but what what i didn't mention anywhere in there is profitability Mm -hmm. now some investors probably do invest based on profitability but i think it's fair to say boats for lyft and uber probably some of the more recent um uh, ipos out there that it was you know these were growth plays similarly like the WeWorks and the airbnbs were growth plays and and they've gone in different directions now. The growth maybe doesn't exist for either, yeah. uh, which which says a lot. So, I you know it, it's it's one um, it's a certain type of validation to to IPO, but I don't think it particularly reflects on profitability or even the consumer's experience of the service from those mm-hmm. businesses. So it really doesn't prove you know a, a, a great deal. Um, and the, I mean I know that the tech news and business use love talking about this and and for some people it's almost proof that the sharing economy model works but for me it, it doesn't necessarily prove that at all and actually the companies that have reached that stage aren't necessarily ones that have sort of remained true to the sharing economy ethos in the first place so um would you say that that was true did you think that to reach that stage of growth to be at um unicorn or IPO stage that is possible to actually stick to your original idea that you started out with or are the two not you know is it impossible to kind of to to have both well I I I personally think they're uh, they can be independent to IPO presumably you're at a certain amount of scale so you have proven out i would argue that the sharing economy model works in whatever it is that you're doing whatever particular space because you've been able to grow to a point um, and typically these ipos are north of, of the unicorns mm. size so north of a billion many multiples of billions tens of billions even mm-hmm. so um so i would argue that um that they have proven out the um the um, as you say, sort of the peer-to-peer model or the sharing economy model uh, works. I, I don't know that they need to forsake. In fact, I would I would say more strongly than that. Um, under the definition that we talked about at the start yeah. of our conversation, I think the the sharing economy model has been critical. It yeah. simply doesn't work if it doesn't have the ingredients that um, and that we laid out. And yeah. so uh, I I probably challenge you on that one. Mm-hmm. No, I think you've you've kind of almost you've taught me around, which I didn't expect, but I, I I see what you mean, and 
maybe uh, you know that purist idea of the sharing economy model is what you know what I need to have in, you know expand on a bit because I think you're right um, about the definition and in that case then you know these unicorns um, that have reached IPO stage have proved it um, which is good news for all of us because this is the space we work in so um, <laughs> so I mean it's great and it paves the way for for other platforms um, and mobility platforms to become profitable um, and to scale and you know that that's what we're all hoping for so thank you Ian and Clive that's been a fascinating discussion and um, it's gone very quickly and I've got an eye on the time so um, thank you for taking part and um, I look forward to maybe talking to you again at another point that's great thank you for having us yeah thank you Al bye thank you thank you for tuning into the Masters Program Platform Podcast Check out the master's program on the Marketplace Risk website at marketplacerisk.com, where you will find 12 tracks of content featuring over 80 speakers and more than 65 sessions. You can also download the mobile app to connect with participants, speakers, and sponsors from around the world. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.